Hey, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. We'd like to say hello to our very special number one and only fan. I hope you have a very merry unbirthday. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall. Luke is tangentially famous as the son of two rock stars from the 80s. Ever since his estranged father has made a comeback, Luke has been uncomfortably in the public eye. When a picture showing him in a bad light is released, Luke has to clean up his image in order to keep his job. To do that, he needs to find a nice, normal boyfriend. Oliver, a vegetarian lawyer, is the perfect man for the job, and he agrees to be Luke's fake boyfriend for a time. But, as they spend more time together, the lines between real and fake begin to blur. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So, Erica, how do we first meet Luke? We meet Luke at a transgender, gender-fluid club night that's Alice in Wonderland themed. (laughs) He's wearing... Some fetishy rabbit ears, along with basically normal clothes, because he put off finding a costume and then decided he actually needed a costume and then ended up only finding ears. Yeah, black ears, not white ears like Alice in Wonderland. Correct. I think they're lace ears. But he's very uncomfortable here. He kind of got talked into going by his friend group, and they aren't anywhere to be found and he doesn't have cell reception and he's kind of standing like by the bar drinking a drink wishing he was at home drinking a drink at home and (laughs) he gets hit on by a guy who is also not wearing a costume but this guy introduces himself his name is cam he thinks luke is hot and then he says oh you're john fleming's kid aren't you And this brings up a touchy subject for Luke because John Fleming is a famous rocker from the 80s who is Luke's dad, sort of, I guess, sperm donor, really. Yeah, I think that's accurate. (laughs) Because he had Luke and then when Luke was three, like abandoned his family and went off to be a partying rock star Mm -hmm. and pretend he didn't have a family. And Luke has never met him that he can remember. In addition to that, Luke also had, like, his father has been making a bit of a comeback on a reality show, and so Luke has been... Isn't it called the Total Package or something? Yeah, something like that. It's kind of like American Idol, I got that impression. I think, yeah, it sounded almost like it was American Idol meets The Voice. Yeah, but, um, because of this, um... People know he's John Fleming's kid, and so he's kind of getting stalked by, like, paparazzi, and he had a really bad breakup with a guy, I think, a couple years before this story happened. Five years. And the guy ended up selling, like, personal details of their relationship and stuff to the the media. Yeah, for, like, $50,000 or pounds? It'd be pounds. Yeah, a lot of money. And this has kind of turned Luke into a very sad, closed off sort of person. Like he doesn't want 
to let anyone get close to him because he was so betrayed by this action of his boyfriend or his ex-boyfriend. Yeah, I sort of get the impression, I don't know if you got this impression too, that prior to that, Luke lived a pretty sheltered life. Yeah, he grew up in the village where his mom lived and his mom was a famous rocker too, but she stopped recording after she had Luke basically and was just like his mom and they've been living off her royalties ever since like totally comfortably and everything she was like i said everything that i wanted to say and now now she's a recluse yeah which good for her right yeah exactly <laughs> so maybe she had enough of fame and the attention and all of that and so yeah i think when miles betrays luke i think that is super traumatizing for him because he goes from like Nobody really knew who he was to now then everybody knew, I wouldn't even say accurate intimate details about him, but just a lot of information. And this has made him have like this really unhealthy attitude, like toward himself, toward other people. Like he's just very untrusting. It's almost like a PTSD level. Yeah. And he, he hates himself too. Like he just... I mean, this book is full of, you know, good old self-deprecating British humor, but especially at the beginning of the book, it's really rough, like how self-deprecating he is. Yeah, I was torturing him in my head. It's pretty real. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I was devising brave punishments for him in my head. <laughs> because it was either that or put the put the book down because it was just, it was so much i'm like come on buddy i want to root for you but you are not helping yeah it was pretty intense <laughs> so then i feel like i need to torture you so that i'm getting something out of this arrangement <laughs> he was torturing himself though. i know but he wasn't doing it effectively <laughs> because i was not entertained But at this party, you get a nice little snapshot of where Luke is at in his life because this cute guy comes up, hits on him, and Luke is just the most angry, awkward boy on the planet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very much so. Just dramatically fails over and over again. Like, they even have, like, a really hot kissing moment. And then he's just like, no, no, I'm failing now. (laughs) Oh, look, there's some failure I haven't gotten yet. Let me go get that. Well, he finds out the guy's job is writing uh, listicles, like on BuzzFeed or whatever. Yeah, I remember the kitten thing. Like, pick these kittens and we'll tell you which breakfast club person you are. I'm like, oh my God, I've sent you those. (laughs) Yeah. I am a consumer (laughs) of that. I am shamed. <laughs> I feel chastened. Yeah. But there's this part where um, Cam asks Luke where the weirdest place he ever had sex was. And Luke says, oh, is that for number eight? And Cam says, number eight what? And he says, you know, 12 celebrities, kids who like to fucking weird places. Number eight will shock you. And <laughs> Cam gets like super offended because he's like, I was kissing you because I thought you were hot, like not because, you know, for job. And so he just blows him off and leaves. And then Luke kind of decides, you know, I've had enough of this party. I had a little bit too much fun tonight. And (laughs) 
walks outside and promptly falls out on the street, like just tripping over his own feet. And of course, someone gets a photo of that. Yeah. (sighs) Luke also is like super paranoid about like his image. And he has like Google alerts set up so that every time he's mentioned in like articles and stuff online, he gets an alert about it, which I feel is just like asking for punishment. Like maybe you don't need to know that much about what people are saying. Yeah, no, he, he fell a little too deep down the rabbit hole. At that point, he went down that rabbit hole, found rock bottom and was like, yeah, I I think I'm good here. It's nice. It's dark. I think he's trying to dig. He's he's trying to dig through it. He's like, maybe there's further to go. Maybe I could go deeper. (laughs) Haven't hit bedrock yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's not dark enough yet. (laughs) So, yeah. So this picture makes it online. And then he is at work. And... (laughs) His work, <laughs> he works for a, <laughs> he works for a, uh, nonprofit, yeah. a charity, yeah, a nonprofit charity called the Calioptera Research and Protection Project, which the acronym for that is CRAP, <laughs> <laughs> and it's for uh, dung beetles. Yes, the little soil aerating <laughs> dung beetles. Yes. Ecologically important, but not very cutesy and fuzzy. And he has this coworker who's just, I don't know what's wrong with him, but his name is Alex. And he has, <laughs> I think Alex is missing part of his brain. He's exceedingly literal, but that's not just it. Like it's, <laughs> there's something else. It's just a little bit, a little bit off. Yeah. And he doesn't take offense to anything either, which is great. I love Alex, FYI. I know, like, (laughs) I don't know your feelings about Alex, but I loved Alex. And I loved when he was, I forget why he mentioned, oh, he mentioned reading Harry Potter like 38 times. I seriously would pay money to see Harry (laughs) Potter through Alex's eyes. (laughs) I am very curious as to what his experience was. (laughs) Um, so in the morning when he comes into work, he tries to find Alex and tell him a joke and Alex never gets the joke. Like he's, he just never, never gets it. It just doesn't make sense to him because he is, as you said, super literal about things. And then Luke gets to explain it to him. I don't know. It's like his fun little ritual he has with Alex, I guess. Well, he does that. I think while his computer, his ancient computer is booting up. So I think it's a time-killing thing. He's probably like everybody, you know, a creature of habit. And maybe a little bit of a glutton for punishment. Because, you know, after, like, the third joke, you'd feel like, all right, dude just doesn't get this humor. But no, Luke persists. But I love it, because it's hysterical. (laughs) I laughed so much. Well, then one of Luke's other co-workers is named Reese. And he is, like, their social media guy. And it's just exceedingly computer illiterate. And (laughs) there's this one scene um, a little bit later in the book where he's like telling Luke, oh, yeah, I made up a hashtag for (laughs) Twitter, you know, and it's like this long ass hashtag that takes up almost all the characters that you're allowed. I think it was the message that he that Luke told him to put on Twitter and he turned the entire message into a hashtag. (laughs) 
That's what I think is what happened, but I am not actually sure. <laughs> but anyway, Luke like has like this passing thought where he's like, well, I could explain to him how Twitter works or I could just roll with it. And he decides to just roll with it. He's like, I'll make you a graphic. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have a graphic with the super long <laughs> hashtag. Luke is the fundraiser for the for the nonprofit organization. His job is to plan and implement the Beetle Drive and get the donors to come in, the cool donors who care about dung beetles and convince them to come in and everything. So he's working on on that and he's noticed that some of the donors have kind of like dropped out, like they said they were coming and now they're not. He gets called into his boss's office, Dr. Faircloth, and she is, she's upset. Um, well, as upset as, as she can be. She's very analytical and only cares about beetles, basically. I, I think she says at several points throughout this book that beetles are more important than humans. Yes, because, well, there's way more humans than there are beetles. Like, the beetles are, beetles are going extinct, but humans aren't. Yeah, well, there's this quote where, um, yeah, of course, while most of us would say that homeless people are human beings and therefore deserve to be looked after, Dr. Faircloth would argue that homeless people are human beings and thus plentiful and ecologically somewhere between insignificant and a net detriment. <laughs> Unlike dung beetles, which are irreplaceable, which is why she looks at the data and I talk to the press. Fair enough. <laughs> Humans don't tend to like to be told that they don't matter. No, no, they don't. But anyways, he gets into this meeting with her and she has issues with his public image because of this picture that got released from him falling out into the street because it looks like he is passed out drunk in the street instead of, you know, tripped. Yeah, I I think it's sort of... You'll have to tell me if you got this impression, too, is sometime before the story starts, I sort of got the impression that maybe Luke had a substance abuse problem or something. Like, not, like, partying lifestyle to a detrimental extreme. When this photo surfaces, it's sort of hearkening back to that time period. Yeah, we don't get a whole lot about his backstory in that regard, but there are some little hints about like he like after, like he had this breakup with Miles and he like lost his job and had like some really bad times. Yeah, but I don't know if Miles was part of those good times. You know what I mean? Like it's not really covered. So that's what I assume is another layer of the, oh, he's passed out in the street. Oh, because he's excessively drinking. Like he did X years ago when yeah. life was not quite so fabulous. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm not sure exactly the order of events, but I mean, we know that five years ago he was dating Miles. We know at some point, he lost his job and then was unable to find any other possible job except for this one because they were really hard up for someone. He got fired because he was in in public relations and then he, well, he didn't make the mistake, but quote unquote, he made the mistake 
and became the story. And that's, I think that was part of the problem. And then, like I said, there was this sort of hint at excessive drinking, partying, drug use, question mark. I don't know. Yeah, no, I feel like it was hinted more than explicitly stated. Okay, good. Not just me. Woohoo. But at any rate, um, according to his boss, this picture makes Luke look like the, quote, wrong kind of gay. Ugh. Which has so many issues. Like, apparently he needs to look like the friendly, harmless type of gay, whatever that is. You cannot see it, but I am rolling my eyes so hard. (laughs) I feel so uncomfortable talking about this part. I can only think of things to say that I think are comforting, but will probably come across as creepy. So I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, Luke calls her out and he says she's being homophobic and he could sue her over this and all this. But at the same time, he's kind of in a tough spot because he knows he's not going to be able to find another job very easily. And if he did sue them, he wouldn't really get anything out of it because they're a nonprofit. Yeah, they have no money. So what money would he take? Yeah. Emphasis on the non. (laughs) She basically tells him you need to improve your image so that our donors will continue to back us because they're dropping out because they're conservative. And while they like to think they're not homophobic, they're only not homophobic if you're the right kind of gay, whatever that is. Yeah, I, I feel I feel gross talking about that. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> there's a couple parts in this book that are like pretty like icky in the homophobia department. Yeah, there are. But at any rate, uh, Alex is at this meeting, and Alex suggests that uh, Luke gets a fake boyfriend, and then can be seen out in public with with a perfect looking guy, and that'll make him look better. His boss is like, yeah, that's a good idea. You should try that now. Yeah, because you're not fired now, but if the situation does not improve, consider yourself fired. Alex is really, really sweet. He gives him a hug. Like, they leave, and Alex gives him a hug and is, like, trying to help him figure things out, even though he's got half a brain. Alex is adorable. I know. And he's like, you can get a boyfriend easily. You're nice looking. You've got a good job. Blah, blah, blah. And Luke is like, if I could get a boyfriend, I would have one. (laughs) And Luke is like, well, do you know anybody? And they're just like kind of going through. You kind of learn that they've got a major difference in background. Like Alex came from, you know, more of a privileged background, like grew up in the city and went to prestigious college, all these things. Then Alex offers to be his boyfriend his fake boyfriend, and Luke is like, you're not even gay. Everyone knows you're not gay. You have a girlfriend. And he's like, oh no, she'll be fine with it. I love Alex. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking in my head, like, (laughs) yeah, sure she will. But you come to find out she totally would be. I think they're just the (laughs) sweetest people. (laughs) They are. They're just endearingly naive. There's some aspects of them where you're like, oh yeah, they don't live in reality. That's quite clear. But there are instances where they're just so sweet <laughs> that they just want to help. <laughs> they really do. So after this, uh, Luke kind of calls in like a 911 sort of situation 
on his group chat with all his friends and he's like you all need to meet up with me and I need to find a fake boyfriend stat and so we get to meet his friend group I love his friends <laughs> so his friends are in in couple order are Bridget and Tom Bridget is his BFF she's his token straight female friend and she stole Tom from him but not like in a bad way like it's a very awkward like a weird situation she dated Tom and then they were on a break and then he dated Tom and then that made Tom realize he liked Bridget better and he and Bridget got back together because you know Luke needs more reasons <laughs> to flog himself <laughs> but Tom is fine like there's nothing wrong with him it's just it's it's weird there's Priya and her uh, girlfriend, Teresa, and Priya is the car owner of the group. She has a truck. Yes, for her sculptures that she creates <laughs> for art. And then there are the James Royce Royces, which is a couple of two men, each named James Royce Royce, and they're married. Well, they're each named James Royce, and then they married and became James Royce Royce. And this book like, makes no real good distinction between them. Like, they'll say, James Royce said such and such. And then later, James Royce said such and such. And you kind of get an idea based on what they say, which James Royce it is. But yeah, they don't distinguish. Yeah, I think that's where the audiobook helped out a little bit there. Because the, the narrator was excellent with the characters and the voices and, and that's really good because yeah it was a little confusing reading it you i kind of had to like go back and say okay which one oh, was the chef again yeah i know exactly who that is <laughs> yeah one of the james royce royces is a chef <laughs> so they they all talk and bridget decides that luke needs to get hooked up with her only other gay friend whose name is Oliver. Luke says, no, I am not dating Oliver because both times I met him, we were the only two gay men there. And <laughs> the first time someone had come up to them and asked if they were a couple and Oliver had looked utterly disgusted and replied, no, this is just another homosexual I'm standing <laughs> next to. Oh, buddy. <laughs> the second time... <laughs> He'd been very drunk and desperate and invited him to come home with him. And Oliver was like, no. Which I think is a point in Oliver's favor, but that is not how Luke sees it. No, Luke felt humiliated yeah. by it. <laughs> he has this thought in his head, quote, On both occasions, in uniquely humiliating ways, he'd made it very clear that we each had a league and his was very much <laughs> out of mine. <laughs> but... Bridget talks him into going on a date with Oliver and she sets them up. And I kind of wonder like what Bridget told Oliver. Yeah. That's, I have no <laughs> idea what that conversation was like, but I'm curious. Cause yeah, the story is completely told through Luke's point of view. So you don't ever see, you don't know. I think the reason she could easily convince Oliver to go out with Luke is cause Oliver already liked Luke. So I think it was just yeah. like a, hey, Luke is looking for a boyfriend. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder that. <laughs> like, I wonder, though, if she said Luke is looking for a fake boyfriend or Luke needs. No, no, because he finds out about the fake thing. He's like, well, how many people freaking know that this is fake? And he's upset. So no. 
He doesn't know that it's fake. That's not how Bridget sells it, because Bridget wants them together for real. Yeah, Bridget's a wily little bitch. <laughs> yes. They're they're basically, she's got two Ken dolls, and she's just trying to put them together. Yeah, there's a point where um, Luke calls her out on that, too, like her fetishization of gay guys. <laughs> and Bridget's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I don't know, is it? I don't know if it's fine. No one should be fetishized. Unless they want to be, which it sounds like he doesn't. And that's understandable. (laughs) But at any rate, the reader gets the impression that Oliver likes Luke, like, right away. The way the story is written, um, the author, he does a really good job of, of showing us how Oliver really feels, even though we're never in Oliver's head. And even though the story is narrated by Luke... Um, or filtered through Luke, Luke doesn't pick up on any of these clues. These are clues solely for the reader. Yeah, no, Hall did a really excellent job, I think. Yeah, he really did. They're at this restaurant, and it's actually really cute, because Oliver's like, this is my favorite restaurant, and I enjoy introducing people to it. And he says, can I order for you? (laughs) And Luke says, fine, if you really want to. And then it says... For about 0.2 seconds, he looked perilously close to happy. I can. (laughs) (laughs) I am entrusted with this mission. (laughs) And then he says, do you have any dietary restrictions? He says, no, I'll eat anything um, food-wise, that is. (laughs) And then he's like, are we drinking? (laughs) And Luke takes that to mean like, are you on the wagon? (laughs) Because Luke's like, I'm not an addict. Oliver's like, well, I believe you. I have a reason to believe you because you just told me you weren't. He's very, very sweet, like immediately. And he really likes yeah. Oliver is the thing. Like he he doesn't like Oliver because he doesn't want to like Oliver, but he actually likes Oliver. Yeah, I think they both really like each other. They just both don't want to for their own reasons. And they also really don't like themselves. No, they hate themselves. <laughs> it's all that. I'm terrible. Self-loathing. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about Oliver because Oliver is a very interesting uh, character too. He is a a barrister and he does uh, criminal defense and he's kind of defensive about his defense. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, people will say things to him, oh, you let murderers walk free or whatever, but he feels very passionately about... You know, everyone should have, you know, good representation. And he's not letting murderers walk free. He's doing a duty. You know, he's doing a civic duty. That's how he views it. Yeah. Not only that, but his clients aren't murderers. Like, you get the murder cases later in your career. He's literally not even handling those, but people just assume. Yeah, he's, like, handling, like, shoplifters and things like that. Yeah. He's also an ethical vegetarian. He has a list of things that he adheres to, like, for reasons of ethics. Like, he's a vegetarian. He doesn't... Use Uber. Yeah, he doesn't use Ubers because of their business model. He chose a job that would, you know, align with his values. Like, he's he's got, like, a lot of really strict rules for himself. And come to find out, that's because his parents have like these super duper lofty expectations for him that are just super out of his reach. Like he could never possibly live up to what his parents expect of him. Yeah. And his parents are 
emotionally abusive. His parents are terrible people. They really are. He has the shittiest parents, aside from Luke's dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the parent... Like, there, there's a particular... In a, in a way... They're shitty in a different ha- way. <laughs> it is. It, but in certain ways, I think Luke's saving grace is his mother, who is awesome. Yes. Oliver's parents are just... I think they're worse in some ways. Part of the reason they're worse is because they're present in his life. Yes. (laughs) And Oliver has been, like, taught to accept this as normal. You know, sometimes we talk about, like, you know, your normal meter being broken or whatever. Olive's normal meter is set at this ridiculous level where it's totally okay for his parents to demean him, you know, out loud. Publicly. Yeah, in front of everyone. It's another really uncomfortable part of the book. So Oliver's got a lot of personal shit, but he keeps that on the DL and on the surface. Yes, he he presents a very pleasing image. On the surface level, he's perfect. You know, he takes care of himself physically. He's got the Adonis belt, which ooh la la. He's got the nice job. He's got a nice house. He's very adult. Um, He's basically the perfect uh, fake boyfriend for Luke. And Luke convinces him to be his fake boyfriend. And they kind of do one of those. And this happens in a lot of books where it's like a fake relationship sort of story. Where it's like, oh, well, you'll be my fake significant other at one event. And then I'll be your fake significant other at another event. And so Oliver agrees to be his boyfriend and accompany Luke to the Beetle Drive, and then Luke agrees, in turn, he'll go to Oliver's parents' anniversary dinner. Garden party. Because Oliver doesn't want to go. Sorry, garden party. It's all very English. <laughs> and, well, and I'm very American. in England. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, English people. Garden party. So Luke agrees to go to Oliver's parents' anniversary garden party celebration. So that's kind of how it starts, this relationship. There's a couple weird things about this book, which I don't know, like logistically weird, because we learn at the beginning of the book that Luke is 6'4", but throughout the book, he's like hiding his face in Oliver's shirt and stuff. So I kind of wonder, like, is Oliver like a giant? Yeah. Because there's lots of times like Oliver will like protect him from like the paparazzi or give him comfort or whatever. And Luke will, like, kind of be, like, and, like, hide. And Which is fine. Yeah, I don't it's have a just, problem it's... with it at all, except that I'm trying to picture it. Well, I guess just picture Oliver being quite a bit taller. Is Oliver, like, seven feet tall? Yes. Or maybe Oliver's, maybe Oliver's six four also. <laughs> maybe they're equally tall. I don't know. Because if you think, okay, so. I feel like we've diverted. <laughs> We, yeah, we're going into the weeds on this one, but I really need to talk about it. I may cut it out, but. Okay. Okay. So guys like to say they're six feet, right? I mean, so we'll just say that's like a, a height for a guy, like six feet. Okay. Yeah. That's a typical guy height. Yeah. Like a, a, a quote, typical guy height. Maybe not the average, but like yes. what they wish the average was. And. Luke is tall because he's 6'4". 
Yeah. So he's like very tall. Yeah. I would say taller than average. So is he crouching? Maybe. (laughs) I just, I don't know. Crouching Luke hidden from the paparazzi? I don't know. I didn't write the book. I don't know. I don't know. Picture whatever you want, because it's it's not clarified. So I mean, I feel like the author forgot how tall Luke is. Okay. Do you not? You're not invested in this at all. I I I heard it when he was like, "Oh, he's six four. I'm like, "Okay, he's tall." And then I'm I remember with the crowd. I'm like, oh, "Okay." And then I just in my head, Luke is sh- shorter than six four. I don't know why he just is. <laughs> I think it's probably because of. All the mopiness. I just took height away from him. Well, maybe that's what, maybe, maybe he's 6'4", but he's, like, slumpy. Like, maybe he has really bad posture. <laughs> he's a slumpy 6'4". <laughs> he's technically 5'. Poor Luke. He's technically 5'10", because he has bad posture. He already thinks so terribly about himself, <laughs> and we're just, we're just adding to it. I don't know why it got to me. I think it's because they made a like a note of saying how tall Luke was. I think if I think if the author hadn't said how tall Luke was, it wouldn't have bothered me whatsoever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, and this is like a logistical problem in a lot of books. I know I read like a lot of science fiction type of books, like romance books, and you know, the alien will be like super tall and then the woman will be like average human woman sized and that's hard to picture too i think that's five six yeah so you have like a five six person with like a seven foot person yet they're kissing somehow while standing up it's hard to picture like how does that happen very flexible backs (laughs) is that what luke is doing he's got a really flexible spine and he's just like snaking in like a mr fantastic sort of thing into oliver's jacket He's used to carrying around a lot of bullshit and baggage for himself. So yeah, maybe he's just he has he thinks he's six four, but because of, you know, carrying around all that baggage, he's he's shrunk. I'm gonna let it go. Okay. I think that's for the best. Uh so they have like cute texting conversations and it's all very sweet and everything and they make plans to get together later and have a brunch so they can be like more comfortable with each other which I think is good. Yeah, so they can realistically be fake. But that day that he's supposed to have brunch, he gets a panicked call from his mother who's like, "Come home now. I need you." And so Luke flakes on his date, quote, fake date with Oliver and drives out or he doesn't drive out. He takes the bus out or the train tube. Yeah. He takes the tube out. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yeah. We didn't really talk too much about the setting, but, but this book takes place in um, largely in London and transportation is like a big deal in this book. Priya is the only one in the friend group who has a car. Otherwise they take a taxi or they take the, you know, they take a train I think it's referred to as the tube. I can't remember. Hashtag city life. But he drops everything and goes to see his mom, who lives like an hour out of London. And his dad is there, which is just a huge shock for him. And he recognizes him 
because his dad's like famous so he knows who his dad like what his dad looks like he knows all sorts of things about his dad he just doesn't know his dad and his mom is kind of like I'm sorry I brought you out here I didn't tell you why but I knew you wouldn't come unless I didn't tell you why (laughs) and Luke's dad tells Luke he has cancer Luke reacts I feel realistically where he's just like, so? Mm-hmm. Like, who are you? Like, I don't care. And um, John says, so it's made me realize some things, made me think about what's important. And Luke says, what? You mean the people you abandoned? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and John says, I'm your father. This is my last chance to know you. And Luke is like, oh, fuck off and die. I mean, fuck off and literally die. <laughs> Yep. And then he leaves because he's had enough of his dad's bullshit. Yeah, which I'm very glad. Yeah, Luke's dad is is a grade A asshole. Yes, you find out more specifics of the assholeness later. But yeah, suffice it to say he's a selfish jerk. He's a terrible individual. As Luke is taking the train back home, he has a voicemail from Oliver who's like, yeah, so your flakiness isn't working for me. Yeah, because he had the voicemail earlier, but he just didn't open it because he, he's very avoidy. Like, if there's something he doesn't want to deal with, he just doesn't. Yeah, when he flaked on Oliver, he sent him a text like, I can't make it and I can't tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true, but not helpful. He could have called. He could have. If he was an adult, he would have called. But at this point in the story, he's not an adult. No, he's a 28-year-old man-child. Yes. So after he gets this voicemail, he ends up at Oliver's house. He's like, I don't want a fake breakup. I'm sorry. And so they have, like, this conversation. And Oliver's just like, I don't understand what your deal is. Like, why, you know, why did you do this? Why didn't you even make up an excuse? And then why do you show up here and you still don't have an excuse? (laughs) (laughs) Because at this point, Luke is still trying to keep everything really to himself. Like, he doesn't open up because he's afraid of whatever it is ending up in the press. Yeah, Luke doesn't trust anyone. He feels like if he opens up to Oliver, then Oliver could take that information and blab to the press. And then it would be a whole nother Miles situation. So, yeah, it basically comes to a head, right? So it's like Oliver's like, no, no, you either tell me what's really going on or this is done. And that is when Luke is like, okay. And then he explains the situation like he got a call from his mom who was vague, but clearly worked up. Of course, he ran to her because he loves her. And I think he makes a joke about it. Not being Norman Batesy, but he's worried that everybody thinks he's Norman Bates or something. And then he finds out about his dad's cancer situation, his estranged father's cancer situation. His sperm donor's cancer situation. Basically. And his reaction to that, which is, fuck off and literally die. And all of that. And Oliver kind of takes that in. (laughs) They talk it out and decide to get back together they're like all right they they found out some boundaries and expectations and and whatnot going forward it's like no no you cannot do this again you have to communicate better and luke is like okay at that point luke doesn't really 
look too deeply at Oliver, frankly. You know, he, he is perfectly happy with the superficial because that's all he really needs. Yeah. And so this is sort of an opportunity for Oliver to be like, no, no, I'm a decent human being treating you like a decent human being. This is what this feels like. <laughs> yeah. And Oliver, in spite of all his hidden, deep, fuck it up this <laughs> he's got some mad communication skills. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I fell a little in love with Oliver. Oh. <laughs> Like, he's just, like, the sweetest, most possibly perfect boyfriend on the planet, you know? Making French toast and giving hugs and wanting to communicate through problems. And I don't know. It's because he's so emotionally abused. He's so sweet. I know. But the <laughs> reason he's sweet is because he is so desperately wanting love in return. He's like a little kicked puppy. He is. He's like, if if I'm perfect, then they'll love me. Which is what he's been thinking in his head since his childhood, because his parents are wonderful people. <laughs> They're abhorrent devil people. Yes. Garden party in hell. But yeah, I mean, that's what it is. And, and Luke is so wrapped up in his own stuff, because super selfish, kind of childlike because he's stunted too he's emotionally stunted you know they they have their issues <laughs> which is what makes them engaging characters even though yeah i really wanted to hurt luke a lot in the beginning <laughs> well luke just hates himself so much and the author makes you hate luke right along with luke yes because all that you know the you sort of feel like yes yes luke deserves it <laughs> A little, not deserves it so much, but like you, you really do kind of want him to suffer because you're just, oh, you're so over his bullcrap. I wanted him to get the fuck over it. That's his journey though. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted it to happen sooner. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of did go a little long. I must admit. It's, it's one of those things because I really like a uh, really dry self-deprecating humor and I tend to really enjoy, uh, you know, that kind of British sort of humor a lot of the time. And so I thought, oh, good, this book will be just right up my alley. And when I started reading it, I'm like, going, wow, this is like really, really, really self-deprecating, like painfully. It's like self-decapitating. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> really bad. <laughs> and And over the course of the book, as Luke becomes... Like, as Luke grows, you know, and becomes, like, kind of more healthy and heals himself and all these things, he becomes less so to the point where it's actually laugh-out-loud funny self-deprecating. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fun journey. It's it's great. <laughs> there were several times I was sitting on the couch reading it, and I was just laughing like an idiot. My husband keeps looking at me like, um, okay. <laughs> And finally, I got up to go in the other room and he saw, oh, are you leaving me to go read your funny book? And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. My book is funnier than you. Goodbye. <laughs> um, at some point in the evening, Oliver offers Luke to stay the night. He says, for the sake of verisimilitude. 
<laughs> I feel like I'm going to trip over my tongue every time I say that word. Verisimilitude, verisimilitude, verisimilitude. <laughs> How that hurts. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, that didn't even sound even a little bit contrite. I'll just make you say the word every time it's time. I'll just say, and the word. <laughs> Let's hope I remember what that is. If not, I'll just put in a word that I want. It'll be fine. <laughs> Oliver offers to Luke to stay the night, but he only has the one bed. And he goes, that's fine. You can sleep in my bed and I'll sleep on the couch. And Luke says, no, that's weird. I will sleep on the couch and you can sleep in your bed. And Oliver's like, no, you're a guest in my home. You can have the bed. And so they decide they'll share the bed. Because they're grown ups. They can do that. Luke's wearing hedgehog undies. <laughs> and he's embarrassed by them. <laughs> Didn't they have a cute name? And he's like, no, no, that's not the name of my penis. I forget what the names Mrs. were. Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the quote for about the about the undies is, they were a slightly faded blue with tiny hedgehogs picked out on them in white. Oliver's t-shirt, which smelled of fabric softener and virtue, was long enough that it mostly <laughs> covered the design. But it was a good thing. I definitely didn't want to get it on with him because Mrs. Tiggywinkle, the hedgehog design, that's not what I call my penis, would have nuked my chances. <laughs> and then later, they get in bed, like he runs and like dives into bed or whatever. <laughs> and then he's trying to like talk to Oliver and Oliver's just not having it. And Oliver says, for God's sake, we've made an agreement to be useful to each other. I have to work in the morning and you're in my bed wearing rather skimpy hedgehog boxers. I'm trying to maintain some sense of normalcy. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Oliver. <laughs> you're in my bed wearing skimpy hedgehog undies. <laughs> Ooh, yes. <laughs> And as they're falling asleep, Luke is like, should I go see my dad? And Oliver's like, if it would help you, you should. And they actually end up falling asleep holding hands, which is very sweet. It is. It is very sweet. There's a couple outings um, for the sake of verisimilitude. Hey, you said it! Good to job! Generate <laughs> and to generate press buzz. And one of these outings is at like a country club, I guess, that his co that Luke's co-worker Alex belongs to. And Alex invites him to go. A social club, not, yeah. Like a social club? Yeah, it's like those men-only clubs. A gentleman's club. <laughs> Basically, yeah. But not that kind? No, I mean, America, that means a strip club. <laughs> but in, in England, that's, that's like, you know, gentry-level, like... Dudes. <laughs> oh God, Actual so gentlemen. Yes. Real gentlemen. <laughs> a gentle dudes club. Yes, a gentle dudes club. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I'm punchy. So they have this <laughs> they have this wonderfully fun outing where um <laughs> Alex and his girlfriend Miffy go on a double date with Luke and Oliver at the at the Gentle Dudes Club. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Oliver kind of hits it off with Alex because he's very good at being posh and so is Alex. And Miffy is just a delight. I don't know. I really enjoyed Miffy. Miffy's fun. And <laughs> Luke is, is kind of pissy because he's he's jealous. And he's like, Oliver's my fake boyfriend. But Oliver is doing what he thinks he's supposed to be doing, which is getting along with people in a social setting to make Luke look good. So he's doing fine. And being an adult. (laughs) (laughs) He's adulting! Yay! (laughs) He has his three-piece adulting suit on. It's just kind of funny because um, at one point Luke says Oliver is boring. And Miffy says... Luke, I thought Oliver was supposed to be your boyfriend. That's a beastly way to talk about him. <laughs> now Alex was glaring at me as well. Well said, old thing. Can't go around bad-mouthing the ladies like that. I mean, gentlemen. I mean, your gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> and then Miffy says, if I were you, patting Oliver on the hand, I'd kick him to the curb, girlfriend. Boyfriend. Oh, I say, that doesn't work. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree, Miffles. I would never have suggested Luke get a boyfriend if I knew he was going to rag on the fellow. You should probably leave him and go out with me instead. Hashtag Ollivander. (laughs) And then Miffy says, yes, do go out with Allie. I could have one of you on each arm. It'd be the most ripping lark. men and alex says of course i like men all my friends are men my father's a man you're the one being horrid to everybody telling oliver he's boring when he's an oxford fellow and has been dashed good company all evening (laughs) it's very funny it is it's oh it's such a funny book i so enjoyed the humor to himself Luke is thinking to himself like oh oh tally ho toodle pip which college were you at where did you sit at the annual duck following ceremony go fuck yourselves you self-satisfied pair of testes (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know I can't do a British accent to save my life but it was just hilarious in my head I don't know if I could do it to save my life I am not going to do it now. Uh, But as they're leaving, um, they do get kind of accosted by the press. And mostly it's because of Miffy, who apparently is an heiress or something. Yes. And she wears designer clothing. And yes. Yeah. And she handles it super duper well. Like she's totally like a pro. But it kind of taps into Luke's like PTSD sort of symptoms or whatever. And Oliver draws him up against his side and just protects him. Yes. Someone comes to his rescue and then they go back to Luke's place and Oliver about dies. Yeah. Because Luke has been wallowing in just complete apathy for so long that his apartment looks like utter complete shit. Yep. Well put. Like, you just can't see the floor. Bring in the dung beetles. Oh, no, wait. We're trying to keep them alive. (laughs) 
Luke tries to come on to Oliver at this point. He's feeling like really kind of close to Oliver. He's feeling protected by Oliver. And Oliver puts him off. They have a discussion about how they do need to kind of figure out what sort of physicality they can have in public for verisimilitude. <laughs> I'm getting good at you this. You are. <laughs> Gold star. And Luke points out that Oliver keeps refusing to have sex with him. And Oliver's like, what are you talking about? Luke says, well, at Bridget's birthday party a few years ago, we nearly got together, but instead you left. And he says, are you insulted I didn't date rape you? (laughs) (laughs) Because the way Oliver sees it is Luke was like plastered. Yeah, he wasn't able to consent. And was like, come home with me. And Oliver's like, um, no, that is not ethical. I shall not do that. Yeah. (laughs) And Oliver says, you know, for him, he wants sex to mean something. He wants it to be with someone he cares about. He wants it to be meaningful. And Luke says, oh, well, with me, it's just fine. Because with me, that's all I can give is fine. Like, that's the level I can (laughs) get to. (laughs) They cuddle in bed. Yes, Which was after they cute. changed the sheets. Because Oliver won't. <laughs> and Oliver, I think, sleeps just in his underwear because he doesn't want to put on any of Luke's nasty, dirty clothes. And he doesn't want to sleep in his clothes. And Luke ends up finding, like, a hanger for Oliver to hang up his clothes. And they hang in the closet and they're the only thing hanging up. <laughs> yeah, Luke's apartment is super depressing. Well, Luke's life is super depressing. This whole thing where you find out what his apartment actually is like is like really shows you, shows the reader how far gone Luke actually is. Because, you know, it's like a physical manifestation of Luke's mental state. Yeah. Look at the fucks he gives. It is negative fucks. (laughs) Zero fucks. Okay, so a few things happen. Luke makes plans to meet up with his father And Oliver says he'll go with him. There's also a scene where Luke has his friends come and they have like a cleaning party in his apartment. There's this one scene where he takes, like he's trying to woo back some of the donors that left the fetal drive. One of them is this couple named Adam and Tamara. And they're kind of like new agey. Luke takes them to this vegan place. It's just very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable and important because you see the hoops that Luke has to go through for his job. Yeah, Luke has to have like a very specific persona. And it's it's another instance of Luke going, self-respect, dignity, what the fuck is that? He doesn't advocate for himself and say, you know what, this is me. I am who I am, good, bad, whatever. I don't have to live up to your expectation. Fuck you. But he doesn't do that, of course. No, and it's it's interesting, too, because at one point, um, one of them, I don't remember if it's Adam or Tamara, but they say, we've been hearing some things about you that are really concerning and, you know, being in harmony with nature and ourselves is super duper important to us. And Luke is like, well... Yes, I admit I've been in a bad place lately, but I've been taking the time to look inward and working on realigning myself with where I'm supposed to be in life. And just gives him like this whole bullshit thing. And Tamara's like, oh, that's really centered of you, Luke. 
And then Adam says, quote, just to be clear, it's not about the gay thing. <laughs> and then Luke, <laughs> Luke widens his eyes in a look of reassuring disbelief and says, you know, it never even crossed my mind that it might be. Yeah. It's, he's, it's the show. But he does kind of make it, he makes like a, he makes lemonade out of the whole thing because the vegan restaurant is actually very tasty and he ends up taking all over there. Yeah, which is the restaurant was a recommendation from Reese, the co-worker. And so it's, it's an instance which is important for, for the reader to see and then will be more important to Luke later when he pulls his head out of his ass that hey, there are people in my life that care about me and help me. Maybe my life isn't total shit. <laughs> it also shows how Luke can use like his his pseudo-fame in a positive way yeah, because he's exactly. seen leaving the restaurant and that generates good press for the owner of the restaurant. Which she's very grateful for. So there's a good side to having the press stalk you. I it guess. kind of makes me wonder, like, in future... After, you know, after the end at the end of the book, if Luke and and Oliver, spoiler alert, are able to do that in future for the Beatles. They could save the Beatles together. <laughs> Yay, poo bugs. So let's talk about uh, Oliver meeting Luke's mom. What did you think of the interaction between... Luke's mom and Oliver, because let's face it, this is the first loving parent that Oliver is getting exposed to that we see. <laughs> that either of them is getting exposed to. Well, yeah, but I mean, Luke grew up with her, so it's different. <laughs> you know, like, this is like the first time where it's like... Oh, that Oliver experiences a loving parent? Yeah, like, he's willing to not be vegetarian because of the horrible curry. Like, there's meat or God, God knows what's in it, but... Banana banana some some sort of meat <laughs> I, i'm not really sure if they ever specify what exactly is in it just things that i guess shouldn't be in there which I, I wouldn't even begin to know where to start but yeah that's what oliver's saying is like no no i'll, I'll eat meat it's fine you know because he wants to make her happy he so desperately wants to make her happy and of course make luke happy yeah oliver He's all about making that good impression. He wants to give good mom. Yes. <laughs> and he does. He gives very good parent. Crazy ex-girlfriend. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It is It is kind of telling. And, and Luke is like, no, no, please don't go back on your, you know, go back on your principles just for this. Like, trust me, you don't want to eat the curry. <laughs> your digestive tract will thank me. He, he wants so desperately to, to have that affection and love and everything that principles go out the window. And Luke's mom really wants to meet Oliver because she hears from Luke that the relationship that he has, this fake relationship that he has with Oliver is like the, oh, what does he say? Like the most. The best relationship he's ever had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so she's like, well, I want to meet this boy then. And how dare you take this boy to meet your sperm donor of a father and not bring him over to meet me. Which, fair enough. True story. Oh, and she she tells Oliver that Luke has a big penis. Oh, right, that did happen. 
Yep. <laughs> Did you forget? Yeah, the nose thing. Yeah, there's like a half a page of penis talk from the mom. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Poor Luke. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised Luke didn't just die, like right there. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he had lots of like <laughs> needing to be re- resurrected. The other side of of the whole thing, though, so Oliver is is getting along great with the mom because he's desperately wanting to. And he's doing his very best to be, you know, the perfect boyfriend. But the way Luke views it is like, oh, see, one more reason. He's too good for me. Yeah. So Luke is still, like, caught up in his own problems. They have a conversation um, after dinner where, (laughs) where Luke apologizes and he says, this is awful, isn't it? And Oliver says, of course it's not awful. They're a family, and you clearly all care about each other a lot. And Luke says, yeah, but we talked about my dad's penis, served you a literally inedible non-vegetarian curry, and then I had a fight with my mom I really wish you hadn't seen. And he says, it's certainly very different from what I'm used to, but I don't think it's bad. It's honest. Mm. Which I think is very telling. Yeah, Oliver is a really big supporter of honesty. Yes. And it makes sense being a barrister and all of that. He probably gets lied to all the time. Yeah, and he makes a point um, on the distinction between truth and honesty also later, which I thought was like one of the best lines in the book. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a really good line. So we'll fast forward to meeting Luke's dad. Um, Oliver rents a car for this journey. It's like a four-hour drive or something like that. Yeah. They listen to Welcome to Night Vale on the drive up, which I thought was really cool. I really enjoyed that reference. But when they get to Luke's dad's barn, (laughs) Rockstar (laughs) Barn, it's evident like the film crew is all still there. And supposedly John Fleming was supposed to be done with everything by the time Luke showed up, but he wasn't. He was still in the middle of everything. And the people working there are trying to like get Luke and Oliver to buzz off. And Luke is like, okay, well, we tried. Let's leave. You know, and Oliver's like, no. This is unacceptable. We're here and we're coming in. <laughs> like the security tries to stop them from going in. And Oliver's like, unless you want me to press assault charges, you will leave us alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was just, yay. So when they get there, they see that John is mentoring one of the artists on this in the singing competition. This was the same kid that like in a in earlier in the book where Luke gets to sit home watching his dad have this moment with this kid where his dad was saying like I never knew my father I totally understand what it's like to not have a father figure and have this like bonding moment and Luke is just sitting there like what the fuck yeah (laughs) and so now he gets to his dad's house and look who's there it's that kid Leo I think his name is and he's getting music lessons from his father yep so awkward and they sit there for hours and watch this happen yeah it was like six hours or something it was extreme yeah something extreme 
And then once once they actually get his like once the dad is actually done and they get his time or his attention or whatever, like he's like, Yeah, I know I wasn't there, but I can't change the past. I can only try to do what's right in this moment. And Luke is like, are you even sorry? And he says, I think being sorry is too easy. I made my choices and I'm living with them. And Luke says, that sounds a lot like a no. (laughs) And John says, if I said yes, what would it change? Mic drop. Yeah. And Luke says, I might not think you're a colossal prick. And then John says, you can think what you like of me. You've got that right. It's just really sad because... Luke has like a lot of anger and he wants something from like he wants feelings from his dad like some kind of feelings yeah he wants regret but that's not what he's going to get yeah I think he wants regret but I think he'd accept any sort of feeling whatsoever but John Fleming is very just like yep I made my bed and now I'm lying in it yeah Yeah, he's not sorry that he left his three-year-old son and wife. And that's, I think, what really is hard for Luke to take. And, of course, Oliver comes to his defense, which John does not appreciate. And Luke says, what am I doing here? And John says, what's right for you? And if that's walking away and never speaking to me, I'll accept that. And Luke says, so you've asked me to make an eight-hour round trip to tell me you support my right to decide whether I come and see you? That is fucked up. Yeah. And then his dad says, I'm just increasingly aware of how few opportunities I might have left. And Luke's like, way to play the cancer card. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing is like, John is completely okay with trying to get the, the guilt stuff. You know, the oh, poor me is the feel bad for me is do do something because you feel bad for me. But he, it's clear that he doesn't care about Luke because he never even asks him about him. No, he doesn't care anything about Luke's life. He doesn't ask Luke anything about his life. Yeah. Um. Oh, here's this is where we get the fun line about honest and truth. After Luke says, oh, you know how to play the cancer card. Uh, John says, I'm only being honest. And then Oliver says, you're not being honest, you're being truthful. I'm a barrister and I know the difference. And John looks at him and he's like, I'm afraid you've lost me. And Oliver says, I mean, everything you're saying is perfectly unobjectionable when taken at face value, but you're trying to make us accept an entirely false equivalence between you abandoning your three-year-old child and Lucian holding you accountable for a choice you admit to making freely. They are not, in fact, the same thing. Yep. Of course, we don't get any relief from that because then the dad's like, I know better than to argue with a lawyer. Yeah. But Oliver says, you mean I'm right, but you can't admit it. So you're making a joke about my profession and hoping Luke will mistake it for a rebuttal. (laughs) (laughs) I think I fell more in love with Oliver at this point. I'm like, aww. It's hard not to fall in love with Oliver. I know. He's just so perfect. (laughs) Even though he's secretly fucked up. Well, that's the thing, is everybody is. Yeah. He just, he keeps his fucked upness very buried. And so they leave on like this weird note where it's like, well, dad, next time you're in town in an accessible place to me, maybe we can meet up. Let me know. 
Yeah, because I think John, like, offers them, like, a place to stay, and they're like, no. No. <laughs> so when they drive home, they kind of talk a little bit, and then they end up listening to John Fleming's music, and then they end up going to Luke's house, and Oliver sees that Luke and his friends had a cleaning party, and he's just, like, really into it. Like, he's like, oh, you did this for me. Like, he realizes it, and he goes... Luke a kiss and it just goes on and on and on and it's just wonderful somebody finally did something nice for Oliver here's this guy who does nice things for everyone and Luke cared about Oliver's feelings enough to clean his damn house it wasn't like a little bit of picking up I mean you get the sense from the story like there were halls of stuff it was like a hoarders sort of situation Yeah, but it just shows the level of effort, right? Like, it wasn't just a little bit of effort to make Oliver comfortable. It was a group effort, literally. (laughs) So it's very sweet, and they have the kissing, and they have, like, this nice talk. And then it seems like it's turning a little real. And then Luke goes into the bathroom, and he sees a notification from Google about um you know his name showing up in the press and it's a piece from cam who he met at the beginning about meeting this guy with his tortured haunted eyes yeah the guy who was like i'm not going to use you to further my own career and interests yeah bullshit to be fair he didn't put him in a listicle that is true (laughs) he just said he was like a broken shell of a man yeah. But he didn't put him in a listicle. <laughs> but this just kind of breaks Luke. Like, he's just, like, I think he was slowly letting people in. He's feeling a little less hard-shelled. Well, it's like a one-two punch, because he had his dad treat him like crap, even though there was Oliver there to sort of break his fall, so to speak. But I'm sure he still had some emotions churning because of that. And then... He goes in there, sees the phone, and he's back with Miles again. And so he just kind of has, like, a little breakdown in the bathroom. And Oliver is worried about him because he's staying in there for so long. And then he ends up dumping Oliver through the bathroom door. Yep. And so Oliver leaves, and Luke calls Bridget and is like, I broke up. I fake broke up with Oliver. Bridget gives him a talking to kind of like, you know, she reads the piece uh, in the, you know, online about Luke and is like, this is a bunch of bullshit that doesn't mean anything. I can tell you care about Oliver and blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you just talk to him? (laughs) Why didn't you just have a conversation with him? And this I really appreciated because this is constantly how I feel in books like this. It's like, can you just sit down and talk to each other like adults? Can you <laughs> no. just sit down and have an adult conversation about your feelings, please? Nope. But here, Bridget did it for us. Yay! I know. I like Bridget. I think in that <laughs> moment, because up until this point in the book, I mean, she's very, she seems to be very flighty, very unreliable almost because she's late and you don't really take her seriously as a person character etc uh but in this moment where she kind of has this talking to 
with Luke, you definitely get the impression, no, no, <laughs> she's an adult. She handles her shit. <laughs> and so she convinces Luke to go over to Oliver's house in the middle of the night and ask him to take him back. And so he does. He agrees, like, Oliver does take him back. They basically, you know, reenact the bathroom scene again with yeah. each guy on the other side of a door. That helps Luke kind of feel probably like he's in a confessional. And he can, you know, have be private while being exposed. And then Oliver gets a better sense of essentially Luke's trauma and why Luke is the way he is about things. Like, yes, you say you're never going to go to the press, and yes, you say that you won't look things up about me, but people say that, and then they don't do it. Yeah, but Oliver points out that, you know, you don't have to trust me not to go to the press because it would ruin my job if I did. Yes, well, he tries to reassure him. Yeah, he's like, not only would I never do it, but there's other reasons I would never do it. Yes, there would actually be consequences. Aside from feelings, there would be other consequences. A, it would hurt Luke, and Oliver doesn't want to hurt Luke. Plus, I don't know. I mean, Oliver, from the very beginning, was like, I'm not going to go read magazines about you. If I have a question about you, I will ask you. Because, again, he wants honesty, and he wants it from the source. Oliver doesn't spend his time looking up Luke on Google or anything like that. He just wants to know about Luke from Luke. They make plans to go to Oliver's friend's birthday party. And Luke also makes plans to meet up one-on-one -on -one with his dad. Unsurprisingly, the dad does not want Oliver to come. Ooh, shocker. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. I think the important thing that happens with the, the party is that uh, Luke behaves himself like an adult. <laughs> he makes yes. friends with some of Oliver's friends, Sophie, who is a delight. And also he sees from Oliver's friends that Oliver is really happy, which he's now starting to pull his head a little bit more out of his ass and not just think about himself and start to wonder like, oh, I guess Oliver really was very unhappy at the start. Luke just didn't notice. Yeah, because Luke was so focused on himself at the beginning and now he's starting to look outward exactly he's he he cares more about about oliver like him having options at during dinner and stuff like oh i'll have the mushrooms too you know we'll suffer together so to speak um not that it wasn't good but because the friends when they made the beef wellington they're like oh well mushroom wellington for the vegetarian yeah which i mean they tried but not really not really luke is like no no i will have the mushrooms too support my man that kind of thing so no it's it's a nice little turning point for them it is and then we have the meeting where luke meets up with his dad one-on-one -on -one at a bar and it's just kind of like more of the same like, the dad kind of goes on, like, this little, like, memory lane sort of thing about, like, his past. Like, he's just talking at him, I guess. Yeah, I think he's, honestly, I think John is just used to having a fan around. 
And so I think he's a little off put by the fact that his son isn't. Like he wants to say the right things of, oh, you know, you don't owe me anything. You don't. But it, it's almost it it echoes Luke in a, in some ways because Luke was like that, like, you know, you don't owe me anything. The wah, wah, wah. It's that same sort of tone. They're both striking. So you kind of see where Luke gets it a little bit, maybe. But John puts Luke in like this position where he's like comforting him. Like, where Luke is comforting John, which is just sick. Like, it just, I don't know. I hate John. (laughs) (laughs) I hate him so much. He's a major asshole. Yes. Yes, John is a major asshole. And even, like, at the end, it's like Luke is kind of realizing, wow, he's just like this sad old man that doesn't, he's just stuck in his past or whatever. Yeah, I mean, he mentions, John mentions the... The show that he's doing is like a, this is my curtain call, you know, and that's what I kind of think he's looking for in Luke is just another fan that will think he's awesome as he faces what he thinks as his remaining days, months, years. His remaining time. Exactly. He's he's looking for someone to give him that adoration that the fans did. Only Luke doesn't. Because he's a grown-ass man who doesn't feel like he needs to to fulfill that. I wonder if it if Oliver hadn't entered Luke's life when he did, if if it would be different. If Luke would have been... I think the clarity that Luke experiences is in part due to Oliver's influence. But I think that he still would have been like, no, you're an asshole. Fuck off and die. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Well, I think I think there would have been that initial fuck off and die, but then I wonder if he would have been pulled in more. Or when John is inevitably disappointing, if it wouldn't have sent Luke off to like he was five years ago. I think that's more likely. I don't think Luke would have gotten pulled in because he was very much like on guard against all of John's bullshit. Yeah. He just didn't know how to express how he felt. And so when he was there with Oliver and Oliver was standing up for him, I think that enabled him to feel closer to Oliver because Oliver got it. Yeah. Which we learn he actually gets it because Oliver's got shitty parents too. Yeah. We don't know that at this point in the story, but yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Luke ends up leaving this meeting with like this sense of like, okay, well, he even says, okay, that was a thing we did. Yeah. (laughs) You know? All right, well, we did this thing. Goodbye. Yeah, he has a more mature response. And he kind of realizes, you know, we're never going to have the conversation I want to have. And he's okay with it. And I think part of the reason he's okay with it is due to Oliver's influence, too, because he has someone who gets him and who has his back. And his mom does, but his mom, it's different. You know, it's different when it's your mom versus a partner. So after the meeting with uh, John, then we have the scene at the Beetle Drive. Luke and Oliver go together. And that goes really well. Um, Oliver is, again, perfect. Practically perfect in every way. And then um, after that, Luke holds up his end of the bargain and he goes to Oliver's thing with him to meet his parents. And Luke is starting to realize, you know, I actually don't know a whole lot about Oliver. Yeah, because he sits there going, wait, does Oliver have a sister? I don't even know. Yeah, and he tries pumping Oliver for some information. And and he's just like, yeah, so no, they're my parents. My dad did this and my mom does this and my brother's a doctor. You know, <laughs> like 
He yeah, he's very dismissive. He's not very forthcoming. When they get there, his mom and dad are kind of like holding court to like the rest of the people who are there, like the extended family and other friends and things like that. And when Oliver shows up, he's like, this is my boyfriend. And then the dad's just like, yes, Oliver's gay to like the whole group. <laughs> and Luke, Luke is like, are you? You've never told me. But no one laughs. <laughs> I laughed. And then they like dog on his career. Like he's a lawyer, but he's not a good, like he, he's not the good kind of lawyer. Yeah. So his parents are saying jokingly how he's not as far in his career as maybe they think he should be like to an impossible degree. They compare the brothers too, like they're in competition yeah. or something. It's like, well, Christopher's a doctor in Mozambique and he's saving people's lives. And he and his wife are going to start a family, which you later learn they don't want kids. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even the mom where she's just like, oh, blue's not really your color, is it, dear? Oh, uh, bitch. Yeah, Oliver spends like so much time, you know, changing his shirt to a different shirt to a different shirt to a different shirt. And then his mom still disses his shirt. It's like, oh, well, you still have some clothes in your bedroom. Why don't you try something, try grabbing something up there? And he's like, I was 17. That was like a decade ago. Those clothes won't be appropriate anymore. Yeah, they have like a little speech. Like the parents have like this little speech where it's like, you know, thanks for coming to our Ruby wedding anniversary. And the dad, like, roasts his kids during this speech, which is just so messed up. Yeah, it is. And it's just, it's gross. And then they're chatting afterwards. Yeah, they're chatting, and Luke finally has enough, and he defends Oliver. Yeah, they're basically pissing on Oliver. Like, I mean, not literally, but just about. Yeah, Luke's had enough, and so he rips into him, shouting, I think, at certain points. Oliver is, of course, very embarrassed, trying to talk him down. But, you know, Luke is like, no, no, I'm fighting for you. You may not appreciate that that's what I'm doing, but that's what I'm doing. And, of course, the dad gets upset and is like, well, leave my house. And he's like, well, fuck you, I will. And then Oliver yeah. chases after him because he realizes that his parents are bullshit. I mean, he probably knew it. And he just, yeah, I mean, he knew he was getting picked on and abused by them. But he was just shrinking down. Like, he went from this glorious, what, 6'7"? <laughs> <laughs> Eight-foot-tall Adonis. Yes. To, you know, this shrunken version of himself because his parents kept chipping away. They really did. And it was just really messed up. And when they get back to the car, um, Oliver starts driving and then he like almost gets in a wreck and then he stops the car and then he just bursts into tears. He's just like grateful that Luke spoke up for him. But at the same time, he's still beating himself up because he's not being perfect for Luke anymore. Yeah, he, he's not perfect. He's humiliated because of... <laughs> his parents' treatment of him, and poor <laughs> and poor Luke is not used to being a comforting person, so he's like, I don't know how to how to comfort you. I know I'm not going to say they're there, because that doesn't work, but he doesn't know what to do. It's so awkward. He doesn't tell him to, like, you know, not to cry. Yeah, and he's still, like, trying to stand up for Oliver, because Oliver's making excuses for his parents right and left, and he's like, no... Your parents are assholes. 
Yeah, no, because he's just like, no, you know, my mother sacrificed her career for me and my father worked, you know, like a dog every day so that I had these opportunities like going to school and Luke's like, well, that's all well and good, but that doesn't give them the right to treat you like shit. And so they go back to Luke's house. Oliver really wants a bacon sandwich. He's very conflicted about it because he's an ethical vegetarian. And Luke kind of logics him into thinking it's fine. He's like, well, I already purchased the bacon. And so at this point, it doesn't matter who eats it. And I won't buy it for two more weeks if you want to have it now. (laughs) So essentially, this is Luke taking care of Oliver. Right? So he gets the bacon. He does the little bacon hack by putting it in water and make sure it's all nice and crispy and, and does that. It's it's a role reversal because this is usually, you know, Luke losing his shit and then Oliver picking the pieces up. And he holds him until he falls asleep telling him how wonderful he is and all this stuff. And then in the morning he gets woken up to Oliver telling him goodbye and Oliver breaks up. With yeah. Him really harsh because he's like okay well we both had our things that we needed to do and we're done now and i can't be who you need me to be so goodbye basically yeah poor luke is like half asleep going wait no come back (laughs) and oliver's just gone because of course his his armor his carefully constructed armor just fell apart around him and he he has to go retreat (laughs) because he doesn't know he doesn't like being exposed. And then Luke gets stood up by his dad. And then he calls his mom and finds out that his dad actually never had cancer. And he just had like a cancer scare and like overreacted. And then Luke's mom is awesome. She is. She's like, yes, your dad is an asshole and you are amazing. <laughs> yeah. And she gives him some really good advice. She is periodically through this story given Luke really good advice. You know, it's like she really does. Yeah, she is a great mom. You know, when he's like, "Oh, but this hurts," and she's like, and he's he's troubled because Oliver has left and and all that, and she's like, "Yeah, but after a while, it won't matter. Yeah, it hurts, but you move on." Which she knows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like no, you you will find joy again. You know, you'll have a best friend who, for some reason, we're not really sure, gets her watch lost and stuck in a cow. <laughs> You know, there will be joy in the future. You're going to be okay. And to Luke's credit, he is. Like, he doesn't completely fall apart because Oliver's gone. Yeah, he's he's plugging away. Because that was a point that Luke's mom actually made was Oliver basically brought Luke back to who he was pre-Miles. Like, this is who he was before. He just lost his way for a bit. So clearly, Luke was able to be a functional adult <laughs> before the trauma. So Luke is plugging away. He's looking around. <laughs> He's being himself, going to work, trying to get over things. And he gets a call from Bridget who says that Oliver is going to move to Durham, which is in northern England, um, because he wants a fresh start. And Bridget's like, you need to go stop him. And Luke's like, how many times do I need to throw myself at a guy who obviously doesn't want me? Which is pretty damn healthy, thank you very much. Yep, 
points to Luke. Like, I was even at a point in the story, and I know this is a romance book and everything, but I was at a point in the story after Luke had that talk with his mom, I was okay if they didn't get back together. Yeah, me too. I was like, they're going to be okay. Yeah. (laughs) But no, we have to have the reunion, of course. (laughs) And so Luke's whole friend group, like, drives him out to Durham, where, you know, Oliver is supposedly staying. It's so British rom-com. I love it. Yeah. And they have this wonderful scene where they're talking to, like... (laughs) the hotel concierge or whatever and it's just like <laughs> he's just like um can you please leave my lobby <laughs> i can't give you any information about who may or may not be staying in this hotel you need to leave thank you have a good day and so then luke tries to call oliver but oliver doesn't answer the phone and so bridget calls oliver and oliver of course answers for her well yeah and she learns he changed his mind and is actually in his house in london still and so they drive him back to london and they're like we're gonna take you to oliver's house and luke's like no do not this was a bad idea and i'm glad it's over now (laughs) But he falls asleep in the car, and when he wakes up, guess where he is? <laughs> He's out in front of Oliver's house <laughs> at, like, 3 a.m. or something crazy like that. And, <laughs> and he like, yelling at his friends in the car, and they're, like, yelling back at him, and then Oliver comes out. There's yelling. You know, he heard yelling on the street. <laughs> And Luke's like, yeah, so we drove up to Durham to find you, but you weren't there. You're here. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> yeah, and Luke once again kind of tries to repair the relationship. Yeah, it's actually like Luke wants to get back together, but he also doesn't want to pressure him. And he has some self-respect fucking finally. Yeah, he does. And Oliver's kind of like, well... I wanted to move away from where I let everyone down. And Luke is like, no, you didn't let anyone down. And Oliver's like, you didn't seem to feel that way when we last spoke. Luke is like, I can't believe you're making me defend your right to dump me. (laughs) But you didn't let me down. You just made a decision I didn't like. Yeah. (laughs) And he says, I think you made the wrong call, but it's not your job to make me or your parents or anybody else happy. Nope. Which is just very... Very perfect. It is. And truthful. And honest. And then he tells him he loves him. And then Oliver turns around and walks inside. Well, to be fair, in trying to get through to Oliver, Luke points out, you don't have to be perfect all the time. I actually think you might have an eating disorder, which you should get checked out, even if, you know, we aren't a thing. You're screwed up in all of these different ways. And what he's trying to say is you're loved regardless, but he kind of botches that part up a bit. A bit. But then he ends up getting driven home and Priya ends up spending the night with him. So he's not alone by himself and they drink wine and then fall asleep in bed and they get woken up by the alarm or not the alarm by the doorbell. The buzzer. Yeah, the buzzer. Yeah. And Priya is like, you better go get that because I can't handle this right now. Yeah. (laughs) Luke gets up to get the door and Oliver's like, can I come up? And 
Luke says, there's a tiny angry lesbian in my bed, so it's really not a good time. <laughs> but I'll come down and talk to you. He comes down, and they're staring at each other. And then Oliver says, are you aware you're wearing nothing but a pair of hedgehog-themed boxer shorts? <laughs> and Luke says, I've had a rough night. <laughs> but then they talk it out and Oliver says he loves Luke too but he feels like it's not enough and they kiss there's this part at the end where Oliver says it felt safe to let my guard down with you because I could tell myself it wasn't real but now it is and well I'm coming to the conclusion that I might be unbelievably terrified and then Luke says me too but let's be terrified together <laughs> the end <laughs> so one of the things I really liked about this story was how the author told the story through Luke's perspective and I touched on this earlier but how um, at the beginning it's just super duper depressing and as it goes on you can tell how Luke changes you can tell how he's perceiving things differently and I think he did a really good job portraying that yeah I agree I think he did an excellent job with that. Another thing I really liked is how Oliver uses like this really high vocabulary and you can kind of tell like it's a defense mechanism for him. I mean, part of it is that he's educated, you know, and I'm sure he's used to using a very high vocabulary at work, but it's also kind of like dorky. And he does that specifically to make Luke laugh because Luke teases him about his vocabulary. And there's the running joke about verisimilitude throughout the whole thing. Verisimilitude, the dick pic thing. Oh yeah, the dick pic thing. Like at the beginning, like Oliver sends him like this increasingly uh, embarrassing you know, series of text messages. It's like, I'm not going to send you a dick pic or something like that. And then throughout the story, as they're texting each other, um, Oliver will send him pictures of famous Richard's <laughs> dick pics. Yes. I thought that was really cute. That's cute. I had a couple clap squeal type moments. One at the very, very beginning at the Alice in Wonderland themed party, when we meet Cam, who of course we don't like, but he says he's nobody. Which actually is like a character referenced in Through the Looking Glass. And I just really enjoyed that. I'm like, ooh, it's nobody. <laughs> and then another part I really like is when Oliver and Luke finally have sex <laughs> for the first time. Luke says they had the sex. <laughs> and that's what I always say when we do these podcasts. <laughs> it's like, they had the sex. And I'm like, somebody else says it too. <laughs> A kindred spirit. It's not just me. <laughs> Did you have anything to say about the writing style? I loved the humor in this book so much. I laughed so much i can't even tell you <laughs> me too like i know you had like those like clap squeal moments i kept laughing loudly yeah me too which i think is a really difficult thing for a writer to to accomplish totally you know i've i've read somewhere where it's like it's easier to get someone to cry versus laugh you know when they're alone i guess that's true of me i'm not really sure at any rate, I I loved that so much. I loved his use of varied humors, and I loved I loved all the characters. There were a lot of characters, but at no point was I getting them confused. Right. Sometimes it could be a little difficult when there were the big groups 
telling who was talking, but I knew who each character was. And part of that is the writing, but the other part of that is the narrator. So Joe Jameson narrated Boyfriend Material, and he did an absolutely amazing job to make each character their own character. Like, each voice was its own character. It was, I was so thoroughly impressed with his range and talent. That is impressive because there were a lot of characters in this book and they were all very, very different. They all sounded different. Every single one of them. I I just can't say say enough. He's so talented. Maybe I have to listen to it now. Like all the different regional, you really should, the different regional accents. How did he do Alex? (laughs) Alex was amazing. All of them were amazing. Like, that's that's the thing. It's like every single character was beautifully done. All right. So, are you happy for their happy? I am. I'm super happy for Me them. Me too. I love them so much. <laughs> Me too. And I think, I think that's amazing, considering how much I really, really did not like Luke yeah. at the beginning. Just because of the... It, was, it went too, too long. With the wah, wah, wah. He grew on me like a fungus. Yeah. <laughs> he turned from a fungus into a fungi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of myself right now. <laughs> you should be. Gold star. Yeah, I feel like they had really, really good chemistry. They really worked really hard to get to know each other and help each other through their various issues. And they're just so perfect together. Yeah, they were cute. They were communicative, eventually with <laughs> in some cases. But that's that's true of both of them. Because Oliver didn't really communicate very much because he'd have to admit to weaknesses. Yeah, he was all about helping Luke communicate. Yes. But that's what Luke needed. And then once Luke got a little bit better, he was able to help Oliver. Um, That's one of the things that's pointed out when they go to Oliver's friend's dinner or the birthday dinner is Sophie points that out. Like, oh, don't encourage his knight in shining armor behavior. Because they know him. Exactly. And, and Luke kind of hears it, but doesn't really listen to what she's saying. Yeah, it doesn't gel until later. No. And I think that's handled really well in the story where it all kind of comes together. It's like, no, he's, he's a real person with flaws. You've just been unwilling to see them. And granted, Oliver has, because he doesn't really hide it perfectly. Of course he doesn't, because the reader can see. Right. So shall we rate them? Yes, let's rate them. How do you rate Luke <laughs> from one to five hedgehogs? <laughs> five being the best. Oh, a hedgehog system. Oh, crap. Um, I'd say, I don't know, four hedgehogs? <laughs> Jesus, I don't know. Is that good? Is that bad? So is that awesome? I don't know. I, if, if we go back to the triple A rating that we had before, for this whole hedgehog business. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I threw you off. You did. I am not awake enough for that bullshit. <laughs> you can't do that right Excuse now. Excuse me for improvising. You can improvise. Okay. But shit may get weird. How do you rate Luke from awesome to awful? I put... Maybe surprisingly? I don't know. I kind of surprised myself with awesome. He has a journey. He does. Like a fully fledged, like a fully fleshed out journey. 
yes, by the end of the story, I really like him. In the beginning, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. Like, a character does not need to be likable at the very start. <laughs> um, what about you? How did you rate our hero, Luke? I rated him awkwardly awesome because... He is very, very awkward. And it starts out like bad awkward, but gets amazing awkward. (laughs) 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 Which equals uh, probably 4.5 gold hedgehogs for the record. Okay. (laughs) The pokey shiny. How do you rate Oliver from awesome to awful? Well, our hero Oliver, I also put as awesome. I do wish, though, that there was more stuff at the end so we could see his sort of journey to self-acceptance but yeah I put him as awesome what about you I put Oliver's awesome and I really wish that we had like some time in Oliver's head I can understand why the author chose not to do that because this was really Luke's story but I do know the author is planning or maybe in the midst of writing a second book wherein they get married so maybe we'll get some <gasps> Oliver in the second book <laughs> But yay, second book. But yeah, I basically like crushed on Oliver throughout the whole book. Um, Aww. yeah, and even though he had like his fuck upness, you know, his issues or whatever, I think that he's in a place where he's willing to like work on them, whereas before he wasn't yeah. even willing to recognize they were there. Yeah, maybe the second book will be Oliver's journey to self acceptance. But yeah, so he's totally awesome because I don't know that I've liked a hero so well in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I know! Oh, we've had some doozies. Yeah, we really have. So what about the antagonists or villains in this story? Any thoughts on those? Um, They can go fuck themselves and literally die. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, did that come out of my mouth? Oh, Lord. I hate them. I hate them so much. So I have a list. (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny or even surprising. It's not. I always have a list. I know. I know, but it's almost midnight, so it's it's funnier than maybe it should be, realistically. So at the top of the list, there's the antagonist of depression slash other mental health issues, which Uh kind of, you know... Is the journey. And then there's Luke's boss, which I kind of hesitated to put on there because there's times when she's really kind of cool too. But I just couldn't get over the fact that she threatened to fire him because he's the wrong kind of gay. Like, I just, I just couldn't get over it ultimately. And then there's the homophobic, quote, woke donors, Adam and Tamara. And they just really got under my skin and... Like you said, they really help show, like, what Luke has to deal with on a daily basis at his job. Yeah. And it actually shows how good he is at his job, too, at navigating that sort of stuff. Yeah, that was a good instance of it. And then with Sophie at the birthday, getting money out of her. Yes, and then also (laughs) diffusing that situation at the Beetle Drive, too. Um, Yeah. We didn't really touch on that, but there's a situation where... uh, one of the donors was getting talked to by Luke's boss and Luke's boss is not a people person. And Luke was able to diffuse the situation. Well, she's not a humans person. She's not a humans person. And then next I put Oliver's parents. Shocker. 
and his extended family, <laughs> you know, all the ones that laughed at his dad's horrible jokes. And then finally, at the tippy top of the list, I put John Fleming, Luke's dad, who is like yeah the asshole of the year yeah I, again i don't know i sort of feel like oliver's parents are worse i can get where you're coming from because oliver's parents were in oliver's life his whole life but we get a whole lot more of john in this book that's true yeah his asshole is way more present than their and assholes. i give him five brown stars oh oh wow <laughs> because he's a fucking asshole yeah and i hate him wow so good job author hatred achieved you made me hate the bad guy good job so really he was a very effective antagonist yes no i can definitely see that (laughs) (laughs) so how would you rate the book i gave this book a 4.5 wow that is really high for you (laughs) i think that's the highest yet it is (laughs) i'm a little nervous because it's sort of like uh uh-oh can this be sustained? You're teetering on the edge there. Well, what about you? What did you rate the book? I gave it a four. Okay. Um, I really, really, really liked it. I think the reason I didn't rate it a five was due to the beginning because it was just so good job again, author, you know, showing Luke's journey this way. But I really didn't want to keep reading like the first two chapters. I was just like, oh, goodness. Oh, gracious. Please stop. <laughs> yeah it was that that factored into the 0.5 for me too that wasn't the only reason but yeah that factored in yeah it was painful (laughs) yeah i felt it (laughs) (laughs) i could tell well did you feel romanced i did feel romanced in this book i really liked it i think that we got a lot of the character interaction between our two heroes and they just really fit well together and they had really good chemistry and they were both cute in their own way and yeah so i did what about you did you feel romanced (laughs) i would say that i felt exceedingly charmed and romanced what no I think we need like a firework sound effect or something for this part here because I don't think you've ever felt romanced before. No, I don't think so either. I didn't know that was a thing. These characters were actually fucking well developed. They really were. They were. Oh, They actually meshed well together. I was rooting for them. I wasn't going, "Eh, okay. But yeah, I think this is the, probably the first book that we've done where there's a character that's had a journey like really and truly like they are different from the beginning that they are at the end i am i am so pleased i need character development i need good character this book gave good character (laughs) as opposed to giving good parent give me good character (laughs) seriously i mean that's what that's the strength of a romance it's the characters very true So what else are you reading? I, along with our number one and only fan, are reading The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. It's set in Russia. It's definitely got like a fairy tale-esque vibe where there's sort of this evil winter character that our heroine, Vasilisa, will have to face off against, I think, during the course of the trilogy. I don't know if that happens in book one or 
I don't know too much about I try not to read too much of the book flap in the back so I don't get too spoiled. That's fair. But so far so good? Yeah, so far so good. I'm it's still early early days, early chapters, but I'm I'm really I love her writing style. Arden's writing style is very like sitting around a campfire story. Oh, cool. What about you? What are you reading? So I just finished Lock Every Door by Riley Sager and it's a thriller shocking Mm. and it's about a 20 something orphan girl named Jules who takes a job to be an apartment sitter for a mysterious famous building in Manhattan called the Bartholomew and as she's apartment sitting there one of the other apartment sitters who's watching another vacant apartment disappears and Jules kind of starts investigating this disappearance and gets kind of caught up in some of the mysteries and intrigues of the Bartholomew and it's a bit of a ghosty story a bit of a murdery story a bit of a I don't know what just happened there type of story (laughs) but I really liked it the author did a really good job of building suspense by going back and forth between now and then like five days ago and then now and then four days ago oh okay so so you get to a now part and then it says like three days ago you're going wait wait a second where where did this we're not there yet like how did we get to where the now is i don't know oh no (laughs) but yeah it was really well written it was good it had a good ending too oh well that's good so that's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Join us next time when we discuss Love is a Rogue by Lenora Bell. Bye! Bye! podcast at midnight more often we're in sync i'm so tired <laughs> me too